electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Etsy, the online marketplace making an acquisition. Does the pandemic darling have more room to run? CEO Josh Silverman. We're coming through the pandemic three times bigger than we were. Millions of buyers have come to Etsy, have loved what they've found, and I think have created all new shopping habits. Investing in entrepreneurs with microloan nonprofit Grameen America CEO Andrea Jung. We will surpass $2 billion of loan capital to nearly 140,000 low-income women. Those stories plus baby shark. Elon Musk in dangerous waters. Again, Amazon is going to pot. And AMC CEO is taking to Twitter to connect with his newest shareholders. CNBC's Robert Frank fills us in. This is now kind of management by meme, and his compensation is tied to the stock price, which is now tied to this whole sort of social media phenomena, and he's seizing the moment. It's Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's go to the movies. Shares of AMC Entertainment hitting all-time highs. The movie theater chain was basically halted during the pandemic. But now, in 2021, reopening, the stock is up 1,400%. And AMC, a favorite of Reddit reading retail traders, is raising capital. The company reported yesterday it had sold 8.5 million shares to hedge fund Mudra Capital, which then turned around and sold all of that stock for a profit. But the $230 million AMC made in the sale provides much-needed funds for acquisitions, theater upgrades, and this mall brand knows what side its popcorn is buttered on. They are reaching out directly to retail investors. AMC announcing that it is now officially launching what they're calling AMC Investor Connect. It's an initiative that will put AMC in direct communication with its individual shareholders to keep them up to date about important company information and to provide them with special offers. Now, over the last several months, AMC has seen its retail shareholder base grow beyond uh, its 3M owners. And uh, investors who sign up starting today and in the coming weeks will be awarded, they say, with initially free large popcorns that are usable this summer when attending a movie at an AMC theater in the United States. The offer will be made available in their AMC Stubbs Rewards account. But it's an interesting move. AMC cannot raise additional capital and sell shares directly to the public in the future without a shareholder vote. So this is a way to connect them with the retail base, which right now is so dispersed, it's ne- it's, it might be very hard to actually get that vote. So it looks like this is um, the first step uh, in that process. And I still don't understand these well, retail investors who don't seem to fully grasp 
What's happening here? I think what the company did was incredibly smart because Brilliant. you got this underwriting. Instead of taking the time to go through a traditional Wall Street underwriting that would have taken time and risked whether the premium would have come out of the stock, you can flip it instantaneously and, and make good on that, too. Um, but, yes, I agree with you. If you're a retail investor, I'm not sure why you bid it up at this point. Well, at this point, so then the question, of course, is do the investors actually understand it's 42 bucks today. what this company can do? Um, and as we said, Adam Aaron, I think, is doing a brilliant job with a bad hand. I think is probably the best, yeah. best way to say it. The question is, what do you, how do you transform this company? Can you transform this company? Um, I like the seats that go back. Sure. but <laughs> You've seen those, right? You think to yourself, you know, traditionally you think, okay, could I consolidate? Do I merge with a couple of the other players and do we cut the, you know, could we cut costs? There's no cost to cut because it's basically, le- it's all the leases. Alcohol. The alcohol is uh, not, not everywhere. Not enough, though. That's what I mean. It's not everywhere, but there are plenty of places now and where dinner. you have a full and yeah. dinner. And, and instead of that, those are actually pretty nice. Instead of those nachos, the nachos. What is, what is, the, what is that cheese? Uh, is, is it? It's not any natural substance. I talk about something that didn't come from something that was ever alive. But the question is, do you think that you could ever get to that share price? Um, Under any circumstance. It's already there. It's there. <laughs> yeah, it's already no, there. no, 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 no. Could you ever get the business to a place that would support that? Where that validates. Where, uh, In a natural world. GM, where's GME? Is that, is that validating that share price at this point? Rules Did you see that recently? Where, where is it? It's over. Uh, it, GME is going to be a very hard business to do the same thing to. Right. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. But, but, but crypto, it, you're going to get crypto's business but is this, where crypto is? The question I'd ask is, are the, are the retail investors that are propping this up, do they, are they doing it because they believe that there's a... I think the people who own GameStop genuinely believe that there's an opportunity somehow to transform right. the business. I guess as AMC retail investors may think that. That I'm not sure you about. still need people... You know, there's a perception, but the same with, with, with gaming and going to a, a discrete location to buy a game. I don't know whether that business ever comes back. I don't know whether the, the theater business ever gets to the point with streaming and everything else and... 80-inch TVs, right. does that ever get back as a date thing, as a bringing the kids thing? Is it, it just seems like it's slowly declining, doesn't it? Just well, like, it was before the pandemic. Just like it was, it was, there were secular wins beforehand. Right. That's, what, that's the part I don't know. But then there's the other piece, which is there are investors out there who are doing this because they can manipulate the market. It's not based even in speculation. In some, it's, it's, it's well, that was else. the best stock offering performance of a stock that we've ever seen, I think, was it not? when you dilute the shares to see that the, the upward surge that you saw right. in AMC. Meantime, as shares of AMC rise amid the retail trading boom, the company's CEO seeing his wealth grow. Robert Frank joins us with more on that. Robert. Good morning, Andrew. Adam Aaron praising his new AMC army of retail investors on Twitter yesterday, saying he is going to, quote, grow your company. That army also has helped grow his fortune Aaron has about 4.2 million shares either owned or granted. Those shares were worth about 8 million at the start of this year. They're now worth more than 130 million as of last night's close. So his total gains during what we could call his Reddit rally now total $120 million. Those shares up over 1,400% this year. Aaron hasn't sold any shares in March. He did give shares now valued at over $15 million to his two sons. But other executives of the company have been selling, cashing out of almost $4 million in shares since March. The top seller, according to SEC filings, is their chief content officer. She sold more than a million dollars of shares back in March. The general counsel selling just under a million in March. And the CFO 
cashing out more than $400,000 worth back in April. AMC did not respond for a request for comment on the sales. Now, guys, if this pre-market price now, which is up, I don't know, another 23% holds, Adam Aaron would add another $30 million or so overnight. So we'll see where this crosses today. But again, he has done a great job, Andrew, as you mentioned, managing this new shareholder base and benefiting from it. I just want to have an honest moment here. He's not selling the shares. And if he doesn't sell the shares, he's not really making the money. And if he were to sell the shares today, given the kind of message that he's trying to put forth to all of these shareholders about the growth opportunity ahead, which he needs because eventually he needs to sell more shares, not necessarily for himself, but for the company literally to be able to pay down the debt. Is he really going to get wealthy? Well, we'll see how long this lasts. You're absolutely right. He hasn't sold shares. These are all paper gains. So we'll see where it lasts. But uh, some members of the company have sold. Right. And you know, again, this is now kind of management by meme, and his compensation is tied to the stock price, which is now tied to this whole sort of social media phenomena, and he's seizing the moment. So fascinating. Robert, thank you. Appreciate it. I want to get this baby shark story out of the way, because then I want mm-hmm. to get to the real story oh, for Oh, I thought just because Elon you like the song Musk. so much. No, I don't even, uh, my kids are too old, but uh, apparently, Elon, uh, let's read it. Another day, another story about Elon Musk. And his tweets, uh, the first has to do with a video that most parents of young children know well called Baby Shark. It started with a tweet from a South Park, uh, from South Park with a video clip and a caption that reads, the meme stars battle it out. Musk responded uh, to that with a tweet that Baby Shark crushes all, more views than humans. And after that, Musk tweet shares of a major shareholder and the producer of Baby Shark soared in South Korea trading. Uh, That stock is Samsung Publishing. Uh, it has no affiliation. Is that how it goes? Yep. Okay. No affiliation with Samsung. I think we do. Your whistling is terrible. The, the, um, Baby shark. Do, 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 do. the story is another example of how much influence Musk has with his tweets. Now, we're also going to talk about this uh, with the SEC. And yep. then I want to talk about one more thing. Speaking of Elon Musk and Twitter, a new report in Wall Street Journal says that last year the SEC told Tesla that Musk's use of Twitter had twice violated a court-ordered policy requiring his tweets to be pre-approved by Tesla's lawyers. Uh, The tweets in question involve uh, Musk claiming that Tesla's stock price was too high and discussion of solar rooftop production numbers. So that's another one. I think that's major progress for him. You know what I mean? Getting under control, yeah. Twice Twice in three years. So, but I think the hard part is for the I think the SEC is scared to bring a case against him. In case they lose. In case they lose, because they have a defense. In, e- in each case, Elon Musk group has uh, Tesla has a defense for why he did it. And if they were to lose these cases, then it becomes a much more... bigger problem for this whole sort of social media enabled right, uh, CEO communication. So you're companies. throwing down to the SEC. You're daring them. To have the, I'm saying if you're Gary Gensler, these are hard cases to bring. I think that's what I was. Hard cases I'm, to win. That's what I was. Yeah, no, easy cases to bring, right? Yeah. Hard cases to win, and that's has social media defanged effectively the SEC right. because even the original case, if you remember, the judge said, "We want you to settle this case. Go settle it," because I think the judge knew that it was going to be a tough case for both sides. Right. It's always better to settle. I think. But if you aren't familiar, the requirement that we're talking about was part of that 2018 settlement. Uh, we don't have a response uh, for Musk 
uh, or Tesla as yet. And the third data point for me, the most important, is that yesterday Tesla became clear they had filed a new trademark for the Tesla brand under three restaurant services categories. Uh, pop-up restaurants, self-service restaurant services, and takeout restaurant services. So they've been talking about this since 2017 with restaurants. And back, if you hearken back to 2018 on my birthday, January 6th, you believe that's my birthday, January 6th, with all the connotations, but that is. But back in 2018, he said, Musk said, I'm going to put an old-school drive-in, roller skates, rock restaurants at one of the new Tesla supercharger okay, stations. Okay, so bingo. This is what Adam Aaron needs to do. Do something with AMC charging station. and Tesla. Doesn't take Drive-ins. two hours. Right. Drive-ins. Right. They could, Elon could make it happen. I you think see, they should joint venture. Waffle House. But he's doing it in a different way. He's not affiliating himself with, with Waffle House. He's going to build his own. He's going to in it for convenience stores that serve food. They got and there's a picture here. Did you guys see this? I'll send it. No. It's on Yahoo Finance, and it looks like one of those old fifty, like a um, American graffiti diner. type diner, yeah. where you pull in and there's a charging station, and there's a like a tray here, and there's a old fashioned, you know, Coke glass. That sounds good to me. I don't know why the fifties. I there was no pandemic in the fifties. <laughs> Such a good time. And there's 90 percent taxes for you. You know what I mean? I mean, there were a lot of really. There's something really? for everyone. Something for everyone in the 50s. Good old days. Yeah. Do you? So, do you honestly think Tesla does something like this? Restaurants. I think with they, charging stations. No, I think that. But I think it's a lot. You think they'll be getting? Do you think that they'll do it with? Something? I think they do a joint vent. That's what I'm saying. If Adam Aaron does a drive-in, so, now you get like Kramer. So are they going to are they going to use Bitcoin? To, right. To, no. This, but this is you know. This is your suggestion now. This for, is right, and he can then partner with different shopping malls, which they're already doing, and you know other places. Sure. Right. Why not? I just think it doesn't take two, a total two-hour movie to charge, though. Right. Right, but if they had it at the drive-in, it'd be like it a thing. If it was a brand, and you know, I just got a tweet that the truth is yeah. that the screens are so big in a Tesla yes. that you could have your own drive-in just in your own car. That's true. Oh, the movie. Your movie, because you could just have it right. Thinking drive-in restaurants. The still. idea is, if you can drive yeah, autonomously, you could just watch your movie. I want and while you're moving. Not a good idea right now. Not a good idea right now, but the, I the idea of going somewhere roller so skate. antiquated. Roller skates. Roller skates on the on the waiters and, and waitresses. Yes, I think it, that's what I'm. But maybe for. the upgrade would be Pulp roller fiction blades type, today. Huh? Dress like Buddy Holly, Pulp Fiction like. I mean, I got a lot of ideas. Uh, okay. He never tweets uh, to us though, does he? The, the, can can you you can? Doesn't he follow you? I don't know. I don't think he follows me. Mm-hmm. I no. You can't DM him. I don't. I don't think so. Working on that. We can send him an email, but I don't know if we can DM him. Oh, oh well, okay. so, we can send him an email. Send him an e- Yeah? We could. All right. I don't know if he'll respond. Amazon says that it's going to stop testing job seekers for marijuana use. That change comes as more states legalize marijuana and introduce laws banning testing. Amazon will still test workers for illegal drugs, but it's probably just a sign of the times. You can't test people to know immediately if they're doing it. I think anything that tests will show if you've smoked pot in the last 30 days or something. They used to do that at GE, remember? You had to go for all the drug testing. You can either cut hair or you can ask for a urine sample, but it's not going to tell you if someone's high at that moment. It's going to tell you if they smoked I feel like there's a story coming here. (laughs) What what, What did you do? Exactly. (laughs) 
I didn't do anything. It just it didn't start till I was already here. Oh. That's my only. <laughs> and I'm fine now. I mean, I'm fine now. But that was. But you're talking. I'm talking about 1991 yeah. or, or or something. And I might not have always been been perfect. But but I remember it's like, oof, man, uh, because there was. I never had. In 19, 1991, there was, it had not. Started. Different time. It's different time. It, it, it was. Uh, it was it. But but it, to be perfectly honest, I don't know about Amazon drivers. Well, you being, can't. You can't be high when you're. That's like at, at that's work. like DUI. Yeah, DUI. Like, you you that's like work. driving while intoxicated, isn't it? If you're if you're smoking pot while you're. Although I gotta say, it was a fine good morning. First day back yesterday, walking around to the front door yesterday, walked by, oh, yeah. contact high off the people that were hanging out here before five a.m. Right. I'm ready now. If someone wants to, uh, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, decades. Welcome back to I'm Times Square. I'm decades fine. No, in terms, unless, except for walking right. through there, it might be clinging to my... Right. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Etsy with an acquisition spending more than $1.5 billion on clothing resale site Depop. Etsy's Josh Silverman. The core demographic for resale is Gen Z. These are people under 26. A quarter of the global workforce right now is Gen Z, and Depop is the choice of Gen Z. That conversation and more of Gen Z's preferences right after this. Do you have Jimmy Choo shoes? That, that I can buy, use. Uh, I saw a couple of pairs of those recently on my credit card. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow. Today, pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. All right, let's drill down on this. I need to understand. I, I have a craving to understand all things, but especially this. Etsy announcing a major purchase this morning, acquiring fashion marketplace Depop. For about $1.6 billion, around 90% of Depop's active users are under 26 years old. Okay, Etsy's saying that this will help the company push deeper into the coveted Gen Z demographic. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview, Josh Silverman, CEO of Etsy. I don't know where you got some, you got a, you know, so much gray in your beard. You, have, you haven't been 26 in so long, Josh. How do you know how this works and that this is viable? What what explain Depop to us how it works and what it does for Etsy and how it, it sort of broadens out your whole offering uh, sheet. Good morning and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we think Depop is the most exciting company in the most exciting sector in retail right now. Resale is growing like crazy. In fact, re-commerce of clothing is growing 40% year over year and is projected to be a $64 billion market in the U.S. alone. And the core demographic for resale is Gen Z. These are people under 26. A quarter of the global workforce right now is Gen Z. And by 2030, it's expected there'll be 1.3 billion people in the workforce that are Gen Z. That's four times the U.S. population. And Depop is the choice of Gen Z. Depop's been growing like crazy. It grew over 100% last year. 
And importantly, it's growing with hardly any marketing spend. So this is really an organic, authentic phenomenon that's loved by Gen Z. We think it's a perfect fit for Etsy. And it's two-way. So it's most buyers are sellers and most sellers are, are buyers, right? And, and these are, what, what's hot? What, what kind of clothes are we talking about? The vintage clothes? And what does vintage mean? It's not as vintage as it used to be, is it? Well, so yes, you're right. There's about 4 million active buyers and 2 million active sellers. And the buyers sell and the sellers buy. In fact, 75% of sellers are also buyers. So that kind of buy-sell activity is really sticky and is a big part of, of the engagement of the community. In fact, active users show 40 times per month on the app, which we think is a really great sign of, of just how powerful and sticky this, this community is. What's hot? Vintage, you're absolutely right. So things that are 20 years old that come back into style. Streetwear is really hot. Of course, sneakers are really hot. You know, Depop is setting the trend for what's hot. So people come there for the clothes, but they stay for the community. Okay. When you talk about community, you're, you're talking about the community of people that they're sharing uh, the, the, uh, the network with, the, the Depop network with, not, not local communities, et cetera. And how does this help with Etsy? And, and then let's talk about whether reopening is going to be a headwind for you and, and, and what you need to do. Because uh, the last time you reported, I know that there was some disappointment about your, your outlook in terms of how quickly things were growing, just based on, I think, the, the pandemic ending. So let me take both of your questions, starting with the first, how does Etsy help Depop and how does Depop help Etsy? To get a two-sided marketplace at scale is lightning in a bottle. It almost never happens. But once you get a two-sided marketplace, meaning buyers sell directly to, sell, to sellers and sellers uh, buy directly from, from buyers, that, uh, that community is incredibly powerful and incredibly valuable. All two-sided marketplaces like Etsy share a common set of capabilities. You need to make trust and safety work. You need to make search and discovery work at scale. You need to run a big payments platform. You need to run member services platform. There's a whole bunch of capabilities one needs to run at scale. At Etsy, we've gotten pretty good at those things, and we think we have a playbook that can really unlock a lot of value. In fact, we did that with our Reverb acquisition. We bought a, a two-sided marketplace called Reverb about 18 months ago, and we've been able to, just in 18 months, help to significantly expand gross profit, then take that extra gross profit and reinvest it in marketing even more efficiently so that Reverb is growing far, far faster than the musical instrument industry in, in general. So we think that playbook of value creation, we can also apply to Depop, and together we can grow our collective businesses much, much faster. In so, terms of reopening, Etsy has had a spectacular 2020 in light of a very difficult year for so many. At a time when so many stores were closed, Etsy sellers were able to come to the rescue, and Etsy grew well over 100% in 2020 and even to the first quarter of 2021 that lifted up millions of Etsy sellers who had a, a good year in spite of a real pandemic. What we've projected for the second quarter at the midpoint is about $3 billion of gross merchandise sales for Etsy. To put that in perspective, the same quarter of 2019, so Q2 2019 before the pandemic, Etsy did $1 billion of gross merchandise sales. So we're coming through the pandemic three times bigger than we were before the pandemic. We think that millions of buyers 
have come to Etsy, have loved what they've found, and I think have created all new shopping habits that we think are going to sustain far into the future. Hey, Josh, I, I, I know that Etsy has been incredibly strong, but it was the worst performer in the S&P 500 for the, for the month of May. What happened? Is, is this concern that people think people will get back out there and stop shopping on Etsy? What, what do you think the street's reaction is a reflection of? So Etsy's been the best, you know, Etsy was one of the top five performers in the S&P in 2020. And by the way, it was one of the top performers in the NASDAQ in 2019 and 2018 as well. So uh, we don't measure our success based on one month of stock price performance. We look at, are we delighting customers? Are we delighting buyers and sellers? And there's no doubt that Etsy has had an enormous uh, amount of growth and success that we think positions us really well for the future. You know, the great thing about a two-sided marketplace is they're really hard to get off the ground, but once you get them off the ground, they get better as they get bigger. And Etsy is now three times bigger than it was in 2019, and we think that positions us super well. I know you've said you know this stuff, Becky. You've got your kids. Yeah, the, the, the Some of the vintage, for vintage stuff is really, really big. In fact, our teenagers want the concert T-shirts out of Matt's closets and everything else. I mean, anything vintage. Is Josh, um, right now, I saw something that my kids were buying over the... Do you have Jimmy Choo shoes that, that I can buy, use? Uh, I saw a couple of pairs of those recently on my credit card. That I really needed to, to try to do something about that. Do you have anything used that, that goes for like a 20th of what those cost? Can Joe, I, you'd no? look great in Jimmy Choo shoes, and I'd pay to see it. <laughs> they are. I, I, can you believe what those things are? Have you seen those uh, things? Yes. You know what I love is kids Etsy. now. They, they don't have. A, what do you got? Maybe on eBay. What do you got? <laughs> no, I know they don't. I'm asking. Well, well, you know, some kids are buying vintage clothes for like 20 bucks. I'm buying these things for like, I don't know. I'm not even going to mention what they cost. There might Josh. be someone making custom-made shoes on Etsy, actually, right? there is. I'm looking Josh, right now. There's a custom? pair for 200 bucks. There's actually... Hundreds of thousands of pairs of custom-made shoes made just for you on Etsy. Jimmy Choo. Just there. Custom-made Jimmy Choo. These are. Brand, I'm looking yeah. at right now. Two hundred nineteen bucks. Two hundred nineteen for used. Yeah. Three twenty-five for these. One. Amplifiers and guitars. I can see. Uh, thongs, underwear. I don't know. That's a little <laughs> weird for me, Josh. But uh, <laughs> thanks. Thank you for. Uh, I mean, to each his own, right? Thanks for playing along. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Next on Squawk Pod, microfinancing nonprofit Grameen America is combating racial inequity with microloans. Grameen CEO Andrea Jung, previously the longest-serving female chief executive in the Fortune 500. Part of this initiative and why it's so important is sort of due to that long-standing impact of systemic racism, especially the black community, has had really insufficient access to even a little bit of affordable capital. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. Canva. 
<laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Stand by Joe in three. This is Squawk two, Pod. One, his mic, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square, the entire show. Our show is live uh, from the NASDAQ market site now uh, in Times Square, like it used to be. But it's been a while since it was. Yesterday, first day of the rest of our lives. Um, hopefully, I'm Joe, Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Grameen America, a leading microfinance nonprofit, wants to help close the racial wealth gap. It's committing $1.3 billion in loans to 80,000 black female entrepreneurs over the next 10 years. Grameen America CEO Andrea Jung joins us right now. She's, of course, also the former chair and CEO of Avon. And Andrea, good morning. It's great to see you today. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. So let's talk a little bit about Grameen for for people who aren't familiar. This is something that you've been in the business for a long time. The the, uh, nonprofit has been operating for over 11 years and has handed out a lot of loans already. How, How does it work? Yeah, so we are the largest and fastest growing microfinance organization here in the United States. So Grameen America has given out this month in June of 2021, we will surpass $2 billion of loan capital to nearly 140,000 low-income women who uh, will be able to access affordable capital, get training, um, and be able to asset build with savings as well as build credit scores. And, And these are things that prior to joining the program, they've basically been not financially excluded. And certainly this past year in the pandemic uh, and coming out of it in this recovery period, uh, we know that this access to capital is even more important and the sort of disproportionate inequity in that in this country has been amplified. I, I was looking through the numbers and, and it seems to me, if I'm, if I'm doing the math right, that you've given out more loans, but the average price of those loans has probably gone down. Um, is that the case? Have you been kind of tweaking how this works and, and, and found what maybe is the best ratio? Well, the average loan is about $4,000. And um, I think a lot of it is about mix because what we've been doing is giving out a lot of first-time loans. And, that, and those are no more than $2,000 to start. It's approximately $2,000 for a member's first loan. But it goes up quickly. And so some of our largest loans are you know close to $20,000. But the very first time that you join the program, uh, we have learned that women want to be able to pay that back. Uh, Within six months, most of them have a good credit score of 650 plus, uh, and many of them have a prime credit score, which is incredible because they've either had no credit score or poor credit scores before coming into the program. So this is an extraordinarily important thing. If if it's a loan of about $2,000, at least for a first loan, what, what do they do with it? Um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I think we have 140,000 stories because that's probably the number one question people ask me. What can $2,000 or our average 4000 do? Uh, and, and it's extraordinary ability to help them with some working capital, buy inventory, um, you know, pay their rent. But that $2,000 has, has moved them in the pathway up and out of poverty in many cases and to really help establish businesses. So it, a little bit of capital can go a long way. Part of this initiative and why it's so important is sort of due to that longstanding impact of systemic racism, you know, especially the black community has had really insufficient access to even a little bit of affordable capital. Uh, And before the pandemic, I think black women were 
among the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs. I think represent, they were 42% of new women-owned businesses, which was three times their, their share in terms of the female population. But then the compounding inequity uh, over the past year has really not given them that access. But we find when they do have the opportunity to open their own businesses, their success rate is huge. Yeah, you, you mentioned that most of them want to pay this back in six months. What, what kind of loan repayment um, numbers and statistics can you share with us? How, how able are they to pay that loan back? And, and did that change at all during the pandemic? It's pretty extraordinary, Becky. I mean, it's, ni- it's over 99 percent has been the historic wow. record. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, we certainly expected with the recovery and rebuild loans that we were giving out during the pandemic that we would see some downfall. But since August of last year, when businesses started to open up, we've seen that same historic rate, over 99 percent repayment on non-collateral, non-recourse loans. It's been extraordinary. They are truly inspirational, but um, they needed the capital. They trusted the organization. And um, that's why we're so excited to be able to, over, I think, through 2030, uh, offer 80,000 black women entrepreneurs $1.3 billion of loan capital. Uh, so we hope that this will do a, our part in terms of sort of e- erasing some of that systemic uh, racism that has not allowed and afforded fair capital and equal capital to this community. I, I know that you're starting in Newark, New Jersey, New York, and Memphis, Tennessee. Your plan is to branch out. How do you do that, and, and where do you branch out? I mean, I don't think there's a city, a major city in the country that doesn't have this need. So we're starting with an intensification in 2021. And, and again, the New York City area, greater Newark and, and Memphis a little bit later uh, as we start the summer. But we've identified communities all across the country, some that we are in already and some that we aren't. But um, we are currently in 24 cities, uh, soon to be 28. And we see that going to 60 cities over the next several years. Andrea, it's really amazing to hear. I want to thank you for your time today and, and wish you best of luck with this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And someone wrote in that that's one of the first restaurants that is going to open will be in Santa Monica, I guess, where you get nearby. Drive up, charge the sta- charge your car, and someone on roller skates might bring you a uh, like a milkshake and some fries. Such a low margin business. Why in the world did you ever want different business? A convenience Tesla. store and some food and but some why, charging stations. Why run it yourself? Because he does. It's not all about money, Andrew. It's not? Elon Musk? Do you think you're making money going to Mars when he says, yeah, most of the the first 100 people are going to die. But, uh, hey, uh, first of all, SpaceX is is making a fortune. Why? Government contracts. Right. Your your tax dollars are helping helping Elon Musk. That's how this is happening. Yeah. And and they're not helping with Tesla and helping with Tesla (laughs) as well. My only point is. Too, too low margin of, of a business to get into the restaurant business for, for Elon Musk, right? Well, My no. guess is it would be a small number, right? I don't know. A few you, need to, you need places. to dream a little more. I do? Yeah. And not, not just about dollars and cents. You dream about changing the world. I thought and humanity. And the dreamers and me. Okay, Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely still has young kids. I haven't. Oh, what I say? Yeah, never mind. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod. Share Squawk Pod. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.